Hello, residents. My name is Zach Olson. I'm joined today by Mike Estefan, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Ravitz Insurance, my personal, independent life and disability insurance agent. We will talk more about Pearson Ravitz later in this episode. Let's get into it. Today is round number 34 of the game. Next month will be Mike's final case as a resident, I am so excited, but today, Mike will still just need to perform a, a case in real ABEM Oral Boards format. He has 15 minutes to complete the full case. He does not know what the case is ahead of time. These cases were created by me. They're not derived from actual ABEM cases that I had, and they are not real patients. Mike, good morning. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well, Zach. How are you? I am doing well also. Um, I'm I'm just so excited to these final few cases here, I'm, and I'm really excited for next month. All right, so that's the one I'm most excited for. I was going to say, um, the way you introduced next month's case already has me a little terrified, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst <laughs> that could happen? <laughs> um, let me know when you're ready. My gingerbread man is all pre-drawn. I am ready. Let's do it. All right, so it sounds like you've already taken out a piece of paper and a pencil. You place the paper sideways in front of you. You've outlined the body on the left side of it. Dr. Estefan, this will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? I have zero questions. Okay, Dr. Estefan, you are working at Clerkship General. It's your new attending job. It's a slow, quiet shift. You actually have two third-year EM residents that accidentally got double-scheduled on your shift, and they're doing all your work. You have your favorite nurse practitioner with 30 years' experience sitting at your side. Literally, what is the worst that could happen <laughs> when you get a text from your director? Hey, Dr. Estefan, heads up. The chief nursing officer is checking in. Stay frosty. Next patient gets put in your rack, and it is a 70-year-old male with shortness of breath. And It sounds like you're going to have to actually do some work. Bud. All right. Um, I walk into the room. What do I see? So you see a 70-year-old male. Um, he's a little bit mottled. He looks short of breath. Okay. Uh, can we get an opening set of vital signs? Sure. His temperature is 98. His respiratory rate is 28. His heart rate is 36. His blood pressure is 80 over 35. His O2 saturation is 82%. Sorry, his O2 sat was 82%? Yep. All right. Let's... Uh, let's... Let's stick this guy on a, a non-rebreather for now. Um, is he is he able to? Well, let's get two large bore IVs in him and get him on the monitor. And let me talk to him real quick. Um, and while I'm talking to him, can we have the nurse get an EKG stat, please? Sure. So the nurse is working on an EKG now. Okay. Um, and yeah, you can talk to him. All right. Hi, sir. Uh, my name's Dr. Estefan. What's going on today? Oh, Dr. Estefan, it's so nice to meet you. I've heard great things. Um, feeling a little short of breath. I was So here's what happened. I was up last night. I had this idea, a creative new process that's going to allow the hospital system to decrease staffing while simultaneously improving all of our metrics. <laughs> it's a simple mnemonic. Sunobigu. S-U-N-O-B-E-G-U-H. It stands for Skip, Launch, Understand, Nurture, Offer, Believe, Enlist, Grow, Unveil, and Honor. And I swear it's going to be the next big thing. I was going to finalize it today, but I woke up in the middle of the night and I can't breathe. You must save me so I can finish laminating my mnemonic and post it in the department. Save me, Dr. Estefan. Can, You're our only hope. Can I quit the case now? Can I forfeit? <laughs> 
Um, got to save him. He's got to laminate his mnemonic. Oh my gosh! All right. <laughs> Are you having any chest pain? Um. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Um. <clears throat> does a chest pain travel anywhere? Uh, not really. Any nausea, vomiting, excessive sweating? No. Does the chest pain get worse when you walk around? Um. It's just kind of constant. Okay. Um. Any new leg swelling? Yeah, I feel like my legs look a little swollen today. Okay, both of them? Yep. Okay, any belly pain? Um, no. Um, any coughing or fevers? Uh, just, yeah, kind of like a dry cough, no fevers. Anyone sick at home? No. Um, and can I get a repeat uh, pulse ox with him on a non-rip breather? Um, sure, it is 90%. Okay, that's no bueno, but all right. And you just sent over the EKG. I'll take a look at us in a second. Um, any allergies to any medications? Uh, hand sanitizer. <laughs> okay. That's why I got to do admin. Uh, do you take any medications? Um, Buspirone and lisinopril. Okay. Do you have any medical problems? I've been diagnosed with anxiety, hypertension, and obesity. Okay. Any drugs or alcohol? No. Okay. Let's examine him real quick. Um, overall appearance? Um, he looks a little short of breath. Okay. A little modeled-ish. Modeled, short of breath, using accessory muscles. Um, yeah, a okay. little bit. Okay. How do his lungs sound? Um, you hear crackles on both sides. Uh, does he have symmetric pulses in all four extremities? Yes. Is it re- uh, regular? Yes. Any loud murmurs? No. Okay. How's his airway? Any, like, airway swelling? No. Okay. Let's see. Da, 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 da. And he can move all four extremities. Yes. He has no rash on his chest. No. His belly soft and non-tender. Correct. Great. Let me order a bunch of things. Or let me look at this EKG. Um, let's get the the Zoll or the, the crash cart in the room, by the way. And let's get this guy on pads, please. All right. The crash cart is in the room. Looks like some uh, complete heart block. Yeah, I I would call that a third degree heart block, which is no bueno, my friend. Um, he hasn't, you haven't taken any drugs or any alcohol, uh, any drugs recently, anything crazy, out of the ordinary. Nope. No. All right. Nope. All right. Let's get an AccuCheck. Um, let's send off a ton of labs. Um, let's do a CBC, a Chem Seven, with a mag and a FOS. Um, let's send off a troponin. Let us, um, uh, let's send a TSH. F it. Let's send a Lyme, Lyme antibodies or whatever the, the test is for Lyme. (laughs) (laughs) We're, uh, we're going broad here. (laughs) Um, and let's, let's give him a liter bolt. Uh, he's crackles. Eh, let's give him 500 to start. We'll reassess. Um, let's get the pads on him and let's, uh, I guess we can, we can try some, uh, glucagon. Um, I think it's one milligram, right? Can I talk to pharmacy real quick? Uh, sure. Uh, glucagon for bradycardia. Glucagon for bradycardia. Um, gonna be honest. Don't really know what you're going for. Um, am I, am I mixing it up with something else? Oh, I'm thinking beta blocker, calcium channel blocker, overdose. He doesn't take any. He didn't take his meds. Okay. never mind. JK, let's, um, (laughs) holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) LOL. Um, clearly I've been working too much. Um, 
All right, uh, let's let's start. Um, I guess pacing this guy. Let's let's do some transcutaneous pacing and let's um, give him some uh, automate beforehand. Um, we can give like we can get all the airway equipment in the room, get everything in the room. Like we're gonna intubate him. And we can give him like 0.15 makes per kg of automate. And I'm gonna talk to him, sir. We're you're you're in a very abnormal heart rhythm um we need to we need to get you into a normal rhythm and so the way we're going to do this initially is with pads on your chest and it's going to give you a little shocks intermittently it's not going to be comfortable so we're going to give you a medicine to make you a little sleepy all right sounds good isn't there something more comfortable we could try um well, we could try. Screw it. Let's let's. We can give him <laughs> one milligram of atropine and watch it not work. Oh yeah, it totally doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for trying, Doc. Appreciate it. Okay, I didn't want to waste any time. All right, let's let's uh, pace him. All right, describe the procedure. All right, um, let's put the the pacer pads on him, um, and we will set the mode to pace. Um, I will set a rate to let's say 70 and i guess we can turn the oh i've never actually transcutaneously paced i've transvenously paced i hope it's the same but we can turn the sensitivity way down and um turn the amplitude way up until we get both electrical and mechanical capture um and then once we do once we have obtained mechanical and electrical what do you mean turn the amplitude up uh turn the the voltage i'm sorry so you're you're just turning it to the highest level? Not not to the highest level. We will slowly turn it up until we get capture. Got it. Okay. I understand. You're not getting capture. Okay. Um and we have it turned all the way up. He got the automate. Yep. Okay. Um so we're gonna have to place a transvenous pacer, it sounds like you're trying to make me do. Um let's get the the entire procedure uh tray in the room with the the pacer box the cordis catheter and all the wires we need with the sterile sheath okay. i presume you want me to uh to describe the procedure yes please all right do i have to describe how to place a cordis catheter in the neck yep okay all right so we are going to do this procedure sterilely we are going to use the right ij um initially we will use ultrasound guidance we will clean the neck we will sterilely dress the patient we will anesthetize the patient with 1% lidocaine in the neck. We will introduce my finder needle into the IJ under ultrasound guidance until I get return of venous blood. Then I will thread a wire through the uh, introducer needle um, through the IJ. I will confirm that my needle is indeed in the IJ and not in the carotid via ultrasound. Once I've confirmed that, I will... Uh, insert the dilator into the cordis and then thread both the cordis with the dilator over the wire until it enters the IJ and then simultaneously I will remove the, the dilator and the wire and now we have a nice cordis catheter placed which I will confirm with uh, blood draw and I will flush it and I, I have already pre-flushed the cordis uh, catheter prior to insertion. Do I have blood return? Okay, sure. Okay, great. Now, for the transvenous pacing uh, portion of this. So, we will... Oh, gosh. All right. We will have a one of my residents uh, be non-sterile to mess with all the settings on the box. 
and we will attach the adapters the the lead adapters into the box and then we can attach those to the end of the wire i will thread the wire through the i, I guess the the balloon wire uh through the the sterile sheath so that the end that screws on to the cordice is the end is the distal end is where the balloon comes out of um, and I will make sure that is kind of assembled correctly so that it's not backwards. Okay, and after that, I am going to insert the uh, the wire through the cordis, and I'm going to insert it 20 centimeters. And after I'm at the 20 centimeter mark, I'm going to advance a little bit, and then I'll inflate the balloon. At that point, I will continue advancing um, with either one of my residents having a sub xiphoid view on POCUS or on telemetry until I notice a, uh, a change in his uh, QRS complex, I guess, on tele or until I see the, the balloon entering the RV on POCUS, if that makes sense. Sure. What are your settings? Um, let's let's turn the sensitivity to zero because this guy is critical. Um, let's set a rate of seventy, and um, as far as like a voltage, we can ventricularly pace this guy. I don't, I honestly don't know the voltages off the top of my head, but we can we can turn it pretty darn high. Um, I would say almost all the way, and you know, and keep turning it up once we've confirmed the balloon is in the right spot. Keep turning it up until we get electrical and mechanical capture all right um your lime is negative your thyroid is negative your chem 7 and cbc are both normal your trope is high sensitivity troponin is 5000 whatever assay you're using it's very elevated i see you calls you and says hey i heard you got a sick patient wait did i get capture yeah okay great um hey yeah we have a third degree heart block um he has a massive trope leak it's probably uh let me look at that ekg again it's not i don't see stemmy but he's got at least a severe end stemmy leading to a third degree heart block um he's pretty sick um i would have liked a repeat set of vitals after we had gotten the pacer wire but i'm pretty slow at describing my procedure so <laughs> please take him off my hands and take him for a permanent pacemaker all right we'll take him that ends your case oh man <laughs> All right. So uh, how long do you think that took, by the way? Longer than it should have. 16 minutes. That was 16 minutes. Okay. So just to get you. So I had a couple goals with this case, um, and we'll get into that all in a second here. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsor. Our sponsor for the month is Pearson Rabbits Insurance. Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits is my personal disability and life insurance agent. Stephanie Pearson was a practicing OBGYN who got injured at work during a delivery gone bad, and it was completely unexpected. She had assumed that between her group policy and workman's comp and things like that, that she would be financially covered. But it unfortunately wasn't that simple because of lots and lots of fine print that she didn't understand up front. This is why you need your own personal policy that you buy on your terms, a policy that you own that covers you in case you can't do the specific occupation that you trained for. And this is why when you decide to buy your disability insurance policy, ideally as early as possible in residency, you need an independent agent who can work on your behalf coach you, show you the difference between all these different options that you have that to you are going to look exactly the same. She is an educator at heart and will teach you how this stuff actually works. 
Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until you get diagnosed with a chronic illness or you get injured or your family gets diagnosed with some crazy genetic disease. You will never be as healthy as you are right now. Don't learn lessons the hard way. Go to www.pearsonravits.com. Fill out the contact info and have a meeting with her team to get all your questions about disability insurance answered. All right, Mike, back to our case. Okay, so, um, yeah, that was about 16 minutes. I had a few goals with this case. Um, but before we get into my, my side of it, how do you think it went kind of critique yourself? Um, well, <laughs> the glucagon, my, my brain was, was grasped by straws because the majority of the unstable bradycardias that I have actually seen, um, which I don't think this is usually the case, but have been in the setting of beta blocker or calcium channel blocker overdose. So I am so used to going for the glucagon going for uh the calcium i should have now that i'm like not stressed because this this is how it works right like when you're on a time crunch and you're recording like it's a much different environment than the ed so as soon as we stop recording i'm like i should have started an epi drip i should have tried a uh, dopamine drip like something like that i should have tried that before moving on to pacing um the atropine i don't care about because it's not going to work here but i should have started some kind of drip and then transcutaneous pacing and transvenous pacing I've never had to articulate before. I've definitely played around with the materials to do it. And I I don't, like, I couldn't recite the numbers for the voltage or whatever to set at. But um, I think I have a decent idea of how to do the procedure and could figure it out in a crunch with a, you know, a 30 second lookup. It's kind of how I feel I did. So um, this case is going to be, well, I'm not sure if it would, how similar it would be to a real case, I guess, but the I feel like this is closer to a real case because it's a, it was a end STEMI causing a third degree heart block, and pulmonary edema and things like that, right? A third degree heart block. Mm-hmm. So you're spot on with the diagnosis. Not really that hard, but the case is actually surprisingly difficult for several reasons that I built in. So this is like now that you're getting to like the advanced level. So you get an EKG. So a subject, it's a test that subjective requires subjective interpretation, right? Totally interpreted correct, but you have questions like, is there a STEMI? Is there not a STEMI? Which rhythm is this? You know, is this a second degree? You know, is this a MOBITS too? Is this a third degree? Very actually hard to do that on, on short time, high stress. You start getting into these soft skills, right? Very difficult to do that. Um, you actually didn't order a chest X-ray. You never articulated that, but the chest Oops. X-ray I would have made you interpret as well. And again, it's the same thing. You don't just get like a report. You would have had to interpret it. It would have showed, you know, signs of pulmonary edema, and you may have had to articulate a few of those. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, so this is like a simple diagnosis with hard skills kind of pushing you, and then um, it's actually a there's a, it's a lot to get done again in 15 minutes right describing two procedures and the whole you know long story up front and everything so i it was intentionally meant to push you on time and then you also would have to describe multiple procedures including well i felt like as an attending like I was better, more adept at articulating transvenous pacing than transcutaneous pacing because you take transcutaneous pacing for granted. Um, so it was fun pushing you to do both of those. You actually did really well overall. So um, things that you did well on exam, you mentioned murmurs because like what were you thinking there? Lots of things. Complications of MI, you know, the pulmonary edema, if they had like a, a acute, what is it, acute uh, aortic insufficiency or a mitral valve prolapse that 
just led to total failure and they flashed into their lungs. Right. And that seems like that could be a great case too, right? Like a blown valve, like that sounds messy and stressful. Yeah. So, um, anyways, so, um, that was good. You actually did really well describing the procedures. You know, I'm nitpicking you, but I also have the opportunity of like thinking through both these procedures in fine detail, knowing what the case is ahead of time. Um, so let's see on the transcutaneous pacing. Let's see, you said put it on pacing mode, set the rate to 70, gradually increase the amplitude. I don't think that there's a sensitivity setting on there. Am I crazy? I don't think that there's a sensitivity no, setting. No, I was console. I was 100% thinking about the pacer box for transvenous because you're totally right. Like yeah. I I am much more concerned with the ability for me to put in a transvenous pacer than a transcutaneous pacer because I know I will have support staff that can help me figure out how to transcutaneously pace somebody. Um, and you gave them sedation, which I think is important. I'm not sure how I feel about automate as an option. We can get into that in a little bit. And then as far as placing the actual cordis, you actually articulated it perfect. There was one small step that you missed only because I'm being mean <laughs> and hypercritical. I, I didn't cut the skin. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice. You even know in retrospect that you didn't cut the skin. Yeah. That's good. I was like, nope, he never nicked the skin. He missed it. <laughs> <laughs> you get credit. You get credit. You're not going to like fail a case because you didn't articulate nicking the skin. But you didn't nick the skin. This is true. Um, and then on floating the pacer, you did. You missed one thing, too. That's I, pretty important. Yeah, I forgot to deflate it, the balloon after I was done, right? Yeah. So you... It was all the balloon stuff. So you never tested the balloon before. And I always kind of ignored that. I thought that was like, oh, just make sure your equipment works. But why is that? Think about it. Why is inflating the transvenous pacemaker balloon before important to make sure it works and doesn't have a hole? Well, you're never, you will never be successful if you don't have a balloon. But if you think about it, if it doesn't go up and you inject 1.5, you just gave them like a giant air embolism, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. Because you're like literally sitting it in their heart and then you you inflate the balloon, you put one, you know, and you're just injecting that straight through a leak. So it makes sense that you would have to check that. Um, Once I kind of thought through that, it's a step that I kind of just didn't think was that important before, I guess. And so you did overall, you did well with that. Um, You knew the settings on the machine. Yeah, I think that was that was great. And then he had an end STEMI. So how would you have treated an end STEMI if you had another 30 seconds? Yeah, um, aspirin, heparin drip, um, nitro. Well, see how his pressure is doing, but I wouldn't give this guy nitro. But if his pressure came up with pacing, then I would give him nitro. And you did a really good job, too, up front with, like, you just immediately threw him on an honor breather. You got him on the crash cart. You actually rechecked vitals up front. Because you didn't recheck at the end because you ran out of time. But you were rechecking initially on at least the oxygen. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a fast-paced case. I love the fact that you thought I would test you on something like Lyme's disease. <laughs> Lyme? Lyme's? However you say yeah. it. It was just Cinco de Mayo, so we'll go with Lyme's disease today. Yeah. <laughs> um, the... I love that you think I would actually do that to you. That's so advanced. <laughs> that's a little, that's about my pay grade. I don't think I would have thought, thought of that. So that was yeah, good. Yeah, you're so cruel, man. After the way some of these cases have gone. TSH was smart. That's a good one. Yeah, well, you were like, his legs are swollen. And I was like, well, heart failure, mixed edema coma, you know. Yeah, so I thought I thought TSH was really smart. I'm not sure I've, I'm not sure how often I've sent a lot. Do you send a lot of Lyme? Uh, I only do it. For third degree heart block in somebody who is not seventy years old, but this is you, so <laughs> I, I I covered my bases here. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, so the chest X-ray, um, I would have gotten. 
you missed that as like a simple yeah. order. Otherwise, that's all the critique I have. You actually, I mean, it's a, and for everyone that's listening, I mean, the amount of stress, I still don't know how Mike does it. You'll notice I've never done this. <laughs> he's on the he's on the side. I'm like I don't know if I can do that. Um, the amount of stress that it just kind of clouds it, your mind, so even simple things become you know easy to miss. Oh yeah, it's like a so, layer of I, brain fog. I, I totally the the stress, and I'm sure it's this way on test day too in real life, right? Like things that you just do automatically when you're in the ED, and you don't even give a second thought to, like consciously articulating those things takes it's like another level of skill i guess i would say i don't know i don't know if skill is the right word but awareness and now that you're now that you're practicing and you're going to be starting to actually get ready for the real test too, um pay attention to your time because generally since we're podcasting i kind of you know i'm not just going to cut you off so a lot i feel like a lot of ours we tend to run like 16 17 minutes and there's some edits and stuff that happen in there so just make sure that you're you're watching yourself on your time because you don't want to be a minute short on your like internal rhythm on every patient on testing because yeah. you're gonna no, leave really stressed. that won't be, That's good. Gonna be stressful yeah um, okay, so tell me about one more thing. So I was kind of curious by the automate choice. Why automate? Yeah, so it might just be a cultural thing. So just generally the way I've been trained, I mean, most of my attendings like half dose automate for any kind of cardioversion or uh, transcutaneous pacing. I I don't have any good evidence for it. It's just what my training experience has been that I have a few attendings who will use ketamine for this, but the overwhelming majority like half dose automate. I don't know why, but it's what I've been kind of trained to do. I haven't had too many of these cases. Um, the thing with automate, it's not terribly long acting. Yeah. And that's why I really, so I use, that's my go-to for like a cardio version. Um, you know, and the, yeah, so that that's part of that. And then the other thing, so Atomidate has, having used it a lot, it causes a lot of clonus. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, a lot of people get clonus when you use it, especially when you do like a cardio version. <laughs> they tend to almost like they seize up almost for a couple seconds. So I'm not sure what would happen as far as transcutaneous pacing with that. Because if you already are like a third of patients getting Atomidate are getting clonus when you're doing it for like a sedation, I think it's third according to, I think it's like a third of patients. You know, I'm not sure if that's going to cause issues there. I just thought it was an interesting choice for that. Well, um, let, let, I, let me say this one thing. So the way I I saw this going was this guy's in third degree heart block. We need to get him stable right away. And that's going to be with transcutaneous pacing. But to get him to the pacing, the, you know, the, the lab, the EP lab, he's going to need a transvenous pacer to make it upstairs. So I wasn't, you know, if this guy needed prolonged transcutaneous pacing like transfer to another hospital gotcha. i would have intubated okay. him and put him on sedation you know you just wanted to sedate him real quick and that's your your go-to for a quick sedate yeah exactly and then same yeah same yeah actually yeah i think in theory ketamine makes a lot of sense because it gets a little analgesic effect with it too i think it, like in in my mind ketamine would make the most sense but i feel like Anyways, I want to give a clip. So that I can't remember the name of the YouTube uh, channel. I just watched a, a video yesterday where a guy was transcutaneous pacing himself. And I want to say crit medic, maybe. Oh, my gosh. That's so savage. <laughs> that's insane. But he was like raiding as, at, until he got capture on himself. Um, and like mechanical capture. It was, it was excellent. I was like, this is I need to meet this person. Um, 
but it, he he's like he's like it feels a little tingly, and he's like it's starting to hurt. And I think he was like, yeah, that's about seven out of ten. <laughs> you know, it was something like that. He's like, and it's making, you know, you can see it's making his chest jerk. But he was doing it without sedation or anything. I don't think it's like, you know, you're not like, it's not like a torture episode out of a movie or something when you're doing this. I think it, it's pretty freaking uncomfortable. I don't think it's like, you know, nightmarish. Although I'm never transcutaneous myself. I'm kind of want to. <laughs> I'm actually kind of curious. But he seemed to be able to tolerate it pretty well. He's like, yeah, that's super uncomfortable. You can see him kind of jerking. And he's like, yeah, it's about a 7 out of 10. That's, yeah, that's, that's, oh. That's insane. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't think you have to have someone like comatose to tolerate it. I would, I would imagine that if you just hit him with some opiate that they would be able to tolerate it pretty well yeah, so like, i don't know it was just an interesting video so i thought i'd throw that out there everyone can look kind of try to find that um but yeah it's not like you're doing 200 joules stuff every second or something like it's you know anyways that's that was my final comment um i i do i do have one question for you what in your experience, well, I always hate these because I never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, this is an experience question. In your experience, have you ever had success in these cases with an epi drip or a uh, dopamine drip in preventing the need for a transvenous pacer? Um, okay, let me think. Symptomatic bradycardia, absolutely. Yes, it works. Mm-hmm. Third degree heart block, I don't remember. If it worked or not. Okay. Because it was pretty, we got him upstairs pretty quick, like an unstable third degree heart block. Got it. Got it. Okay. We got him upstairs. Yeah, I've definitely used epinephrine drip on unstable bradycardia. I don't know if it was, I don't think it was a third degree heart block though. Got it. Okay. And then I've had some pretty, some pretty sick uh, Mobitz twos that would just pause for like a long time. <laughs> and that that you know is it gonna i don't think respond to anything but we got them in the lab pretty quick by the way i hope everyone enjoyed maddie's stuff earlier this month i thought it i think it's excellent and she's got more coming out so yeah get excited i'm very excited for what she has in the future yeah and pretty soon we're gonna have her mike and i have already started planning this we're gonna have her starting to do some of these cases too so we'll we'll go from like the super advanced third year resident back down to doing lateral canthotomies on patients with an MI that you gave aspirin to when they're allergic, you know, that kind of thing. Hey man. Hey man. Those were good times. So, um, but anyways, uh, until next time, everybody keep working hard, keep studying and be sure to enjoy your shift.